Okay. Uh, welcome, everybody, to episode 7 of uh, LTYSA. Let me tell you something about. Uh, I am George, and, <laughs> God, here to, <laughs> and here to give our weekly introduction is my co-host, Hunter. Salutations, listeners. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was going to get you. Yeah, so this is... What's the acronym, actually? Uh, it's L. L-T-Y-S-A. Oh, that is horribly not catchy. Uh, welcome to L-T-Y-S-A, which is <laughs> Let Me Tell You Something About. Uh, it is a short podcast about, try to hit about 30 minutes. Usually We're going to do it this a, week. We're going to do it. about an hour <laughs> where me and my co-host, George, present a interesting fact, or I, I guess not a fact, but a, a, a subject that we, we think would be interesting to talk about. We spend no more than an hour of research on it, and we definitely don't go to peer-reviewed sources to find that no. information. So no, no, no. everything here should be taken with a grain of salt. This is mostly done for our own enjoyment, and obviously for the enjoyment of our viewers. So, yeah. That's it. That's the that's the show. Yeah, that's it. See you next week, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the um, show's pretty interesting. That's my subject. What's yours? <laughs> um, who Who's first up this week? Uh... I don't know. I think, I think I volunteered to go first last week, but okay. I, don't, I, I, I think so, I, I think that's out of order. I think let's just say whoever wants to go first. Well, I'll I'll go first because I got a pretty short one. So if we're if there's a chance of us hitting thirty minutes, maybe I can get us there. <laughs> yeah, uh, mine's I, pretty easy to cut. So. Okay, perfect. So I got a short one this week. Um, so I'm just gonna dive in. I'm just gonna play the sound, and I'm gonna press play right now. All right. Buddy, you're a strong man. Oh shit, I knew it was that. <laughs> I fuck with the lyrics. <laughs> well, I'm gonna guess. See, I want to say Queen, but I also know that that's like a really common song for a number of different. Things. You're on the right track. You're on the right track. Uh, there's definitely a sports team in England that uses that. Um, okay, you're on a really good track here. You're in the mention. wrong era oh, you're wrong. thinking the wrong era but the right uh, everything else wait oh wait, wait wrong movie? era as in like as, as it's not the year about... you're guessing the wrong you're thinking the wrong year can you but it's it's, it's england it's england england sports. sports team there's a movie that uses that song oh damn it's a um, 2001 film starring heath ledger the only movie that comes to mind and i know that this isn't right is the one that's about the the I think it's a rugby team that has black players or something. That's oh. a South Af that's South African. Damn it! No, that's not right. No, nope. the movie yeah. I'm referencing is A Knight's Tale, which came out in 2001. Um, oh wait, what? That, yeah, <laughs> I the era was 2001. No, no. Can you guess our topic today? Uh, Justin, you are correct. That's the first time we've ever had a hey. correct guess. Uh, we're talking about a little bit more than jousting, but jousting is certainly one of the things I want to Tournament talk about games. today. Yeah, we. I want to talk about medieval sports. Nice. Um, and because I was, you know, I've, I'm, you know, I'm a nerd. I, you know, in the Renaissance festivals, uh, I and you as well have played some of the old medieval indoorsy games, and you know, we've seen the jousting at the Renaissance festival. So yeah, I just want to talk we, about some of these. We sat at the nerd table. And yeah, the nerd. <laughs> <laughs> we're not physically fit enough to play the medieval losers table, as it were. Um, yeah, so I want to talk about uh, some medieval sports. So I have two sections we're going to go into today. Um, the okay. first is medieval games that are adapted in the modern world. So medieval games that we still play a version of today. And then the second one is games that we don't play anymore. Um, oh, okay. I like so, that. Yeah. So the first one... So first we're going to start with games that we play today. Uh, yeah. And the first section is all of these indoor games, like the nerd table we were at. Um, mm -hmm. the, mo the most obvious one. I'll give you one guess. It's an indoor game. It's a board game that people still play all over the world today from the Middle Ages. Can you guess? I want to say it's chess. Bingo. That's it. Okay, chess. Yeah. Very medieval game. Yeah. Um, there's another one called... And I think this is a French pronunciation. I think it's Alcarquez, um, which was the uh, predecessor to Checkers. Um, okay. And just by – I skimmed the rules briefly, and it looks like the only difference was that you could also move diagonally, not when jumping. You could just always move diagonally as well. Oh, okay. Uh, that, so that so was one of them. 
Yeah. But same principle, like every unit's a pawn. Yeah, every thing, unit's yeah. a pawn. You can jump, even jump multiple people at once to get them out. So in many ways, it's basically checkers. They were playing this hundreds of years ago. Nice. Um, okay, the next one's kind of interesting. So have you heard of the, the game Craps? The the gambling game yeah. with dice craps? Yeah, dice, yeah. So there was a game before that, and this is l very late Middle Ages to the early modern period. It was Its height of popularity was the 16 and 1700s, actually. Mm -hmm. um, but it was around a little before that from what I read and it was, it was called hazard and it's basically craps. <laughs> no, I know and it's called, this sounds like a middle school <laughs> game played by kids in like the eighties or something. Want to play some hazard? It sounds like, like doom or something like, <laughs> yeah. um, no, so it was called hazard and I was confused reading the rules and craps is just simplified hazard because hazard rules were like crazy complicated Basically, the person who's rolling the dice would pick the number that they wanted to be theirs, okay? And so if they okay. roll that number, they win money. However, oh, okay. depending on what they choose as their number affects which numbers make them lose. So, like, oh. if you chose a five... I, one of the examples I remember is that if you chose either a five or a nine, then if you roll an 11, you lose, but if you roll a 12, you still win. Like, it just, like, oh. weird stuff like that. So, they so just it's probably, it. like... And it's probably like a seven is like has a lot of losing numbers because it's the most likely thing to roll. Or uh, like that, it was something like that. Um, yeah. I don't remember <laughs> the exact numbers, but yeah, there was some weird. Th yeah, it was. So it's basically craps <laughs> with just <laughs> stupid rules. Balancing probably wasn't that great back then. So maybe <laughs> that's, that's true. Probably. That's true. <laughs> yeah, hard to play test. Yeah. Uh, okay. The next one is fox and geese. <laughs> this is another board game. <laughs> And I think we played this at the Renfest, because I remember this being there. I think I actually own this game. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of like checkers. One mm. player controls a bunch of pawns, which are the geese. The other player controls a single pawn, which is the fox. The fox can kill the geese. And the geese winning by surrounding the fox so that it can no longer move. We definitely played that game. Exa yeah, it, it's yeah. set up on kind of a yeah. plus-shaped grid. Um, but yeah. That's a it, fun game. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it, yeah I, I, should, I think I had them in like a bag somewhere. <laughs> break those out. i like how even the even though in the middle ages they knew how big of dicks geese could be if <laughs> yeah like everyone knows <laughs> <laughs> um i'm gonna kind of go through some of the other ones uh horseshoes was a medieval game and we still play that today oh interesting. Uh, they had essentially the predecessor to 10 pin bowling um you know you know i wonder if the, on the horseshoes thing i wonder if that was born out of the fact of like that was the era probably when horseshoes started to become pretty common, right? Oh, like, 100%, yeah. So then, and then you have all these, you know, whether it's an old horseshoe or a misshapen one that was made, laying around. Oh, yeah. You know, you well, you know, like, one them. of the most common things blacksmiths ever made was horseshoes. That was, oh, like, really? okay. one of the biggest things a blacksmith made, because you always needed more. Yeah, um, yeah. So that, and then the, the last one that we still play today in a form is, it's not golf, it's colf with a C. <laughs> Um, people who played it were not golfers; they were culvers. <laughs> um, yeah, so okay, it actually sounds. For their <laughs> <laughs> it sounds actually really fun. I'm not gonna lie. So right. how you played is one, uh, the clubs were wooden, which isn't that foreign, but so yep. were the balls. So it's it oh. just a wooden ball, <laughs> and you played wherever you wanted to. <laughs> so people would play in streets churchyards open fields you know wherever you wanted to play you would play and it was it's kind of like the same game today except instead of trying to hit a specific hole on a course you and your friends would say oh i bet i can hit that knot on that tree and then whoever hit that knot in the fewest amount of strokes won uh, oh. you know one so um, it's like an it's like a accuracy it's an accuracy game. game much like golf today really um, yeah. but it didn't have to be on the ground. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, apparently many cities banned it because it caused so much damage to like surrounding areas. <laughs> and they said, okay, if you're going to play this, you have to go to an open field and then we can see the relation to modern day golf. Ah, and then golf. Yeah. Yep. Was, <laughs> that's a hilarious game. You just like point out things and hit it. <laughs> oh, I think that would be so fun. So yeah. fun. <laughs> and okay. I just imagine like if you're walking around the streets and some guys are playing, some Culver's are playing golf. <laughs> and they have a wooden ball that they're hitting around the street. That's going to hurt if that hits. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, yeah, I was going to say, it probably was banned because they're like, hey, who can hit the back of the king's head or something? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now we're going to move into the, the second uh, part of my little uh, spiel here. And these are yeah. games that we no longer play. Okay. Okay. Uh, number one, Knight's Tale, it's jousting. Right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I'll but just... 
I'll, and we all know what jousting is, so I'm not going to go into crazy detail. Uh, You're telling me when I hop on an office chair with a broom and I have one of my buddies push me at the same arrangement? It doesn't well, count? May, tell, me, tell me, if you played according to these rules that I'll read you, then maybe it's the same thing. Drunk um, college so, students are probably responsible for keeping alive a lot of this game. So you would get points for yeah. breaking a lance against your opponent or his shield. You'd get a point oh, for that. Okay. Um, and you would get points for then unhorsing your opponent as well. And we've seen this in like the movies or whatever. We know, you know, that's like. Would you thing. get points for killing your opponent? So that was a big point on the wiki page. Actually, was that killing was considered like no, there was no shadiness about it. Killing was considered un- very unchivalrous. It was it was bad. It was wrong in the public eye. But that did not stop people from assassinating people. But via would jousting. you win? <laughs> yeah, right. So I don't think you'd win, but you might win some ulterior motive. Oh, um, so it was like a good setup to assassinate. Someone. Exactly. So it did happen, but uh, it was like it, nobody would have respected you for that at all. That would not have been like, oh, he got a victory. It would no. Um, yeah. And then I did read because I'd never heard this. Um, people cheated at jousting by uh, bolting themselves to their saddle. Huh. bolting their armor to the saddle so that they couldn't be knocked off. I imagine it would hurt okay. a hell of a lot more yeah. than your hit. But if you're not... Know, That's you a good know. way to, like, break your spine. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> um, well, so speaking of breaking the spine, uh, melee tournaments were big. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it would just be, all right, five guys with the spear versus five guys with the spear. You know, clubs or whatever you want to do. Um, it was usually equal in number, um, so it would be somewhat fair. Yeah. Now I, I gotta I gotta go against that as being a dead game because there are a number of different martial tournaments that still that's exist. you're right that's that's There's very a lot. true I mean that's Battle of Nations is actually really big I mean and people argue that like oh it's not real like medieval like combat but like the thing is is I'm imagining these medieval co- tournament tournaments they were trying to kill each other either they were that, trying this to is true yeah yeah bash the heck out and of if each you other. look into um, HEMA which is historical European yeah. medi- uh, martial arts. That's like trying to bring alive, um, basically melee tournament fighting. Well, Hema's um, also trying to actually kill, right? Because you no, fight with well, no. You, well, Hema's all foam, you know, hard foam weapons. No, no. Well, I mean, obviously, no. But I meant like the the fighting styles they use are what yeah, yeah. Would that's use like to actually yeah, kill someone. Right. Whereas like Battle of Nations is like you're you're just trying to knock someone down. Oh, I'll basically. have to look at that. I don't know if I. I, I think I I don't know. Yeah, we need more um, research on that. And then the only really funny note that I saw mm-hmm. here uh, yeah. was that. The problem with melee fighting, it was never really banned, you know, until later when it came out of fashion, was yeah. that it often led to serious and fatal injuries. Even though, it, you know, you weren't trying to kill people, the number one cause of death was internal bleeding. Because oh, you'd be hitting each yeah. other with maces and stuff, and then somebody would bruise and die. Um, Damn. So that was a big thing. Um, they, did ta- they did talk about wild boar hunting, because hunting, you know, is a sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and they talked about that, and the, apparently uh, the reason why boar hunting was more fun than other hunting was because the boars fought back. <laughs> um, a lot of people died, uh, a lot of princes died boar hunting, accident or no, who could say? Um, and just for us, you know, the listeners who don't know, Robert Baratheon also died uh, from a boar hunting accident <laughs> in Game of Thrones. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, the point was you would use a large spear with a big barb on it. Um, and Hunter, Hunter, let's take a guess here. Do you want to take a stab at it? And I'll give you a point if you're anywhere within the range. How yeah. much does a boar weigh? A full-grown boar, Ooh. how much does one weigh? Wait, like a... Uh, we'll say a male. Are we talking about European boars? Yeah, like, but European kind of boar? boar in the Middle Ages. Ooh. 350 pounds. You're right in the middle. Uh, females would weigh around 250 and males would weigh, weigh around 450. Yeah. So if you imagine a 450-pound yeah. stout pig <laughs> charging at you, yeah, I can see, I can see her some death. Yeah, in that's not. Yeah. Yeah, that's well, it's wild because like boar hunting is still existing now. It you know exists nowadays too. Like that's like. Yeah, it's, it's like a pest. Isn't it pe- pest? Pest. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy how that's like a sort of a timeless act because boars are so annoying. <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> uh, not as cool nowadays, obviously they're using guns, not spears. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've heard it's really, it, it depends. I mean, there's always those crazy guys that want to do it. The old way. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The yeah. good way. Um, <laughs> archery contests were very popular because by law in England, um, all men between the ages of 15 and 60 were legally required to train as archers so that the army would always have a supply of, mm-hmm. uh, longbow men. So that was another oh. one. That's um, cool. I got two more. The last one I'm really excited about. Um, this one is called water tilting. It was essentially water jousting, where you, two people would stand up on boats and try and knock each other off the boat with poles. 
and it doesn't sound that deadly but the, the all the sources I saw, and I saw a few on this, yeah. they all made it very clear that the ability to swim was much less common in the Middle Ages. <laughs> so it, it did kill a lot of people because they would fall in and just drown. That's sad. I like, know. So that yeah. was the thing. All right. And like the, a noble death. I, yeah, it's it's very undignified. All right. The last yeah. one I want to talk about is got, it's got to be the best game in all of sports history. Okay. It goes by a number of names. Some people call it medieval football. Some people call it folk football. Some people call it game ball. This was a peasant game. This was most decidedly a peasant game. Nobles would play it, but their version sucked. (laughs) I'm going to read you the entire rules of this game. Okay? It's that important. There are two goalposts at opposing ends of an indeterminate length, anywhere from yards to miles could be the the distance of this field. Literal two miles apart. And the winner, the winning team was the team that got the ball through the enemy's goalpost. Those are the rules. Okay, that's it. That's it. <laughs> now, and I, I'm being literally, those are the rules. Number of players on a team, however many players you and your town folk brought, you know, to the game. Because it would be town versus town or village versus village would play. Yeah. And so if, if you could get eight guys to come and they brought 12, well, you got to, you know, you're at a four man disadvantage. Um, wow. women could play this game too. It was not a male only sport. Both genders could play this sport equally together. Um, which is kind of nifty. I assume that just because they wanted more people on their team. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just like, come on, we're going to let the women play this one. Come on, get in. <laughs> um, yeah. It, like, in the middle ages. like I said, there's, there's evidence of literally the, the pitch, the field being two miles in length. Just because that's how, yeah, they just want, you know, if you want a big game, you just play it big. So it's almost like a combination of football and, uh, what's the, um, what's the ca- capture the flag? Yeah. Yeah. Like, right? yeah. Kind of, except, you know, without the flag, but yeah, it, yeah. In terms it's of like scale, reverse, certainly. but yeah, but like, you don't capture the flag when you play in like a huge area or something. Yeah. Exa- fun, like, yeah. That could be really fun actually. Like, oh, well, then, okay. Hold on. You say that. I want to get into the darker parts of this game. <laughs> well, it had to have been fun for people to play it, right? That's like, true. That It must have been really fun, especially to watch. They said uh, when people got too old to play, they'd love watching it because it's entertaining to watch. Okay. Um, they had a medieval Super Bowl. Um, it would happen basically the day before Ash Wednesday. And this would happen all over England in the different towns and, you know, villages and all that. Yeah. Um, they would they would have big, you know, bigger than usual games that could last up to days uh, just they would, they would just be the biggest games of the year. Now, the game was banned by various kings and uh, at one point the Pope throughout the Middle Ages. Do you want to guess why? There, there are a bunch of buzzkills. They were buzzkills because apparently they don't want people killing themselves playing a sports game. <laughs> because there were literally no rules, including the poor guy who had to start the game by throwing the ball in the air. There was no protection from him. There was no rules on what you could bring on the on the field, what you could do on the field. It was kind of like the Hunger Games. <laughs> if Wait, you so could, people would people die, people and, murdered like, each other people? in this game. Like 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 actual committed murder with a weapon intent to kill playing this game. Cuz you weren't so like, playing your team was pe- everyone you knew was on your team. The other team was people, you know, miles away in different villages. <laughs> I'm just imagining they throw the ball up and everyone just pulls out swords and just starts... Like, they don't even care about the ball. (laughs) Basically. Um, And then the last point is how we get the modern connection, why it's called medieval football, is because starting around... I don't want to give a hard number, but starting around the 1400s, a variant of this game came out. And the variant said that you could only ever kick the ball. You couldn't carry it, hold it, or throw it. (laughs) You could still kill your... (laughs) You could still kill. That that wasn't taken out. But then over time, it slowly and slowly became slightly more regulated. And um, eventually, it it did turn into the game that we know today as football. It took so long because every time someone was like, Hey guys, maybe we shouldn't use weapons. Someone would shoot (laughs) them with a crossbow. (laughs) Everyone would turn on him. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah, that's my segment for today. Nice. uh, Nice. Sports. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I like I like that last. Game. I feel like you could do a whole segment on that last game. On game oh, ball, I'm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like a game, fucking game ball. <laughs> uh, all, right. all right, Hunter, what do well, you got for us? Yeah, I'll hop over to mine if you want to play the play the auto kill. Okay, I'm gonna press play right now. Oh, John Brown's body lies moaning in the grave. 
While weep the sons of bondage whom he ventured out to save. And though he lost his life in his struggle to free the slaves, his truth is marching on. Wow. Uh, is it inspiring? It it is a truly inspiring song. Um, yeah, and I'm gonna say it reminds me of my AP U.S. history class. Uh, you know, because we were both in that class together, and our teacher played yeah. John Brown's body for us. Now tell me, Hunter, as like you did before the show, are we <laughs> are we talking about John Brown today? <laughs> yeah. So I I I happened to spill the beans to my co-host. So going into this, he actually now, did. We can proudly about. say. That is the first time we have ever um, yeah, yeah. known something going in. All the rest have been total mysteries going in. Yeah, exactly. And and so I I, I mean I maybe I don't know what I've really said in previous episodes, but George, you know me. I'm not not one to really uh, get like fall head over heels with any sort of historical figure, anyone in general. Sure. But this man, this this man really really tempts me because I did I had no idea the like convictions of this person now is... i'm excited because i love talking about john brown because yeah. he's awesome and i had to is, teach yeah. about him in the fall when i was uh student teaching i had to teach about him in my unit i love john brown i'm ready yeah, yeah. let's go on and a roller coaster yeah he is he is he's a wild person he he I, one of the things i think that like i never knew is that he rubbed shoulders with so many big big names in history Ooh, i don't know if both I know enemies that. and friends yeah you'll be you'll be really surprised honestly i think I, i'd like and, to butt in and tell all of our yeah. listeners right now go pull up a picture of john brown oh, just man, so yeah. you can see this rugged wild man yeah he's just great so it's so yeah so john brown uh is a is an interesting person and we'll, we'll start out by talking about a little bit of his history which actually contains some historical figures surprisingly so he was born in the year 1800 so a nice round year uh he was the fourth of eight children uh he had a there and he also went on i'm not going to read his entire history because i don't want to keep this in a 15 minute segment he has <laughs> he had a ton of kids tons of kids okay. there are points where like his entire family dies and he has like a new family after like oh my gosh <laughs> he he had lots and lots of kids um in, in the climax of sort of his life, some of his kids died, but you don't have to feel that bad because there was a lot more kids that he had out there. <laughs> oh so um, anyway, he was he was born. His his father was a tanner. Uh, he was born in um, people don't have jobs like tanners anymore. That's not a job anymore. That's cool. Uh, there's there's a few. I I've actually uh, met met some in you know upper regal hunting. There's there's some people up there that's oh sure practice the art. Not not industrial. It's not obviously. cool anymore though. Yeah Come on. yeah. You can't make a living anymore. It sucks. <laughs> um, but yeah, they moved to Ohio when he was five, and his father opened a, a tannery there. And so it was actually in Ohio where he it it, it, it uh, they were in Hudson, Ohio, and it was a center of anti-slavery activity. And this is sort of where his formative years began. He started to be raised in this environment where there was controversial talk about slavery. And this is eighteen oh five, and they're talking abolition. Yeah, and so to contextualize wow. him for our our listeners, uh, if you don't know John Brown, he's basically one of the early uh, names that's brought up when talking about the Civil War. So he's, 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 he was, his life sort of, we'll, we'll get to it, but sort of the climax of his life was right around when the Civil War was brewing. So that's, uh, that's why he's sort of, me and George know him, and that's why slavery is sort of an important part of his life. So he, he, um, he went to, you know, he, he ended up going to college, he went to preparatory school, uh, he tried to become a minister, but he, it ended up not working out for him. Uh, he... I'm just kind of going to skim through his life a little bit. One interesting thing that happened was, okay, so this is the first crazy thing. So John Brown's father had an apprentice named Jesse R. Grant. Do you want to guess who Jesse R. Grant is? Is this the, uh, a relation of Ulysses S. Grant? Jesse R. Grant is Ulysses S. Grant's dad. John Brown's wow. father trained <laughs> Lucy S. Grant's dad. <laughs> what a small world. That's crazy. I know. Isn't that crazy? Like, I sometimes I think it's just that it's so small, but like, it's it it's now, the liter- population was what like like thirty million or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, like, like it wasn't. Million? Yeah, it was not that small. Like it it it. it I mean, it, it was small, but like when you think about a like, there's countries nowadays that have those populations and exactly these yeah. kind of interactions. So he he went on. He lived this wild life of 
tra he traveled all over. He um, one of, there was an interesting thing. Let me find it here. Uh, in 1920, in 1820, he married his wife, uh, and he, they went out to Pennsylvania and built a house. And he immediately built a uh, a hidden room to hide slaves traveling north in. That was one of the first things. Oh, that was wow. one of the first so things he built. Underground this railroad. He was like, yeah, on yeah. He was he was right from the get go in there. Um, I I thought this was really. I mean, then he did some other stuff where he kind of ran his own tannery. He he spent a lot of his early life not really doing anything super significant. He was mostly just like a passive uh, supporter of the anti-slave movement. Obviously, building a you know, a hidden chamber is an active member, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. But, like, he basically Publicly, was a member. you're saying he was a passive yeah, member. Yeah, okay. he was passive. So then when he was uh, 29, some, I thought this this was a this was a really good story. It's so some, nice that he was born in 1800. Because that makes the chronology so much easier to so understand. So simple, yeah. So in, in 1829, some white families asked him to help, asked Brown to help them drive Native Americans uh, who hunted on their land annually out of the area. And Brown replied to them, "I will have nothing to do of the sort. I will have nothing to do with so mean an act. I would sooner take up my gun and help drive you out of the country." So he was just Damn. like right from the get go, and he'd said throughout his life he always maintained peaceful interactions with Native American neighbors. So he was a, a he wasn't just like you know, pro one one disparity. He wasn't race. a single issue guy. Yeah, yeah, and I, I'm not claiming that John Brown. I'm sure John Brown. I, I I don't think any historical figure is perfect. I bet you could find a t lot of terrible things he said well, well, oftentimes we're gonna, we're gonna yeah. find some terrible things he yeah. did later yeah yeah oh yeah we'll find some terrible things yeah <laughs> so anyway he, he did he did he you know so he's 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 a very convict he's strong in his convictions is i think the one thing that's consistent consistent about this person and uh so then he he dealt with some illness in his family some loss of life uh eventually he, he in uh, 1846 he moved to Springfield, Massachusetts, which was a progressive, a very progressive city at the time. And fun fact, I'm actually moving to Springfield, Massachusetts in, oh. in like a couple days. So. Well, there we go, folks. Yeah, so hopefully it's the same as it was then. <laughs> um, and anyway, so then he, this is kind of crazy because he's, so he's made this name as, he, all the while he's basically making his name as this great tanner. So he comes here and he basically becomes, starts rubbing elbows with all of these big wigs that run the city. So he's actually really good at appealing to the movers and shakers, the rich people, and getting them on on uh, on his side. Uh, you know, he's he, like I say, he's a very convicted man. He's a very passionate man. Uh, he, he's you know, he's not he's never he's not gentle about the way he talks about his beliefs regarding slavery. And what's nice is that he's able to basically express those arguments to a higher class. That you know. I, I don't really know how divided the classes were at that point as far as, like, sure, anti-slavery sure. rhetoric. But he was, he was a good figure to sort of bridge the gap there. Uh, while he was in Springfield, Massachusetts, he started attending anti-slavery speeches. Uh, he met Frederick Douglass and Sojourner Whoa. Truth. Whoa! Big name and, drop. And Frederick Douglass had this to write about him. From this night spent with John Brown in Springfield, Massachusetts, 1847, while I continued to write and speak against slavery, I became all the less hopeful of its peaceful abolition. My utterances became more and more tinged by the color of this man's strong impressions. So he, he was one of the people that started to make Frederick Douglass think that slavery was not going to be resolved peacefully it was going to have to be something violent wow i know isn't that crazy and so he like he, he gets more involved I'll, i'm going to sort of skip this uh just because he it, it, it's a lot of good stuff it's just like i, I got to keep it short uh later he moves to new york where in the adirondacks they're giving land to poor black families he settles there he helps them settle that was actually where later in his life he was buried they, they returned and oh, okay. buried them there so it, it was a significant spot for him then he finds out about Kansas. So if anyone here doesn't know, uh, there was sort of a prelude to the Civil War called Bleeding Kansas. 1854? Uh, I think it was, because it said in 1855 he moved to Canada, or to Kansas. Boom! So he moved, yeah, he moved there for, it says he moved there to help his adult sons, but I, I think it was also because he wanted to be in the, the thick of it. The Kansas because a man Nebraska like this... Act. Yeah, so he, he goes in there, uh, he participates in a number of 
this time not so like well you know just just helping out helping out uh, we should give our our listeners some background on Mm -hmm. the kansas nebraska act yeah yeah, why don't you talk about it um i'll just i'll brief it because this is your segment but for those unaware um the kansas nebraska act um was the settlement because they were still deciding which slaves would become or which states would become slave states or free states in the united Mm -hmm. states and the decision was made that in Kansas they would get to vote over whether the people of Kansas would vote whether it would become a slave or a free state. Yeah. So both sides were packing, trying to pack the state with mm-hmm. pro-slavery or pro-abolition supporters. Yeah. I think John and, Brown was obviously one of the pro-abolition yeah, ones. Yeah. Exactly. And and boy was it packed. Like there's a lot of. Uh, th- there's actually a term called border a border ruffian, which was a term for a pro-slavery uh individual that came to kansas to basically shake things up and scare people into <laughs> i'm a border reference hey? yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah that's <laughs> a lot of unhappy moms uh and so so yeah they he went there uh he participated in uh some like i i i mean obviously we're all you know pro-abolition he, he, he straight up murdered some people there. Like, you know, like, they killed them in their sleep and stuff. Uh, people that they claimed that, you know, were uh, basically, you know, either traitors or really strong pro-slavery people who couldn't be allowed to live. Uh, John Brown did participate in a lot of raids. Some were termed right, massacres. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's... It, 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 I mean, and, like, the thing is, is, it's not like this is just John Brown. Like, there's murders on all sides oh, here. Oh, yeah, yeah. On every side. Obviously, both sides don't have very fine people. <laughs> right. and the, yeah, the slavery yeah. side was murdering abolitionists, too. So, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was called yeah. um, uh, Bleeding Kansas for a reason. Yeah, personally, I think it's fairly justified, given the issue is literally enslaving human beings. Yeah. So, so but murder's anyway. Murder's bad, but their murder, you know, the abolition murder is less bad. <laughs> yeah, that's not, a, that shouldn't be controversial. This, right, this man right. was definitely on the right side of history. Yes. Um, but yeah, he, but, but I think the important part here is this is where it switches to a more violent John Brown. It's not yeah. like, you know, the, the, the man speaking in town halls or listening to speakers, and he, you know, he starts to develop those those you know the get associated with the violent overthrow of slavery uh so he, he does he does a bunch of time there and then we arrive on sort of my chosen event which is going to be uh the the raid on harper's ferry so Ooh. it actually wasn't called the raid on harper's ferry it's called that's like something that they specifically call out in wikipedia they're like it was used uh insurrection rebellion treason crusade like i don't know like i, I guess it was treason right it's not yeah. wrong to call it treason. Yeah, so yeah, let's be clear too. Like at this point, the civil war has not happened. So like, if you're if you go out and you kill people, you're it doesn't matter if they're horrible, awful pro-slavery people. They're still considered U.S. citizens. You right. would be seen as killing. This your is eighteen fifty-eight. Yeah. I'm I'm spitballing here. Yeah, yeah. So it well, he died when he was fifty-nine. So it, it happened in fifty-nine. Okay. In October. Okay. And so, yeah, so, so that's, what, that's what's also wild, is this man was 59 when he did this. This wasn't like, like, I always thought John Brown did this in his, like, 30s. But he had lived, like, this long life. He had, you know, rubbed elbows with all these people. His father had, you know, trained Ulysses S. Grant's dad. And we now arrive at this, at this moment. So basically... Is, is the moral that you're never too old for murder and treason? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I would say you're never too old to change your country for the better. <laughs> oh, they, oh, wow. Yeah. Look at that. So, so let's, let, let's, let's just go through a little bit of context of this. Basically, the raid on Harper's Ferry. So Harper's Ferry is a very small town. It is only 300 people nowadays. It's always been not that big of a town. Uh, it's a very strategic point. It's at the uh, connection of two rivers where they join, which is always, you know, a really strong mm-hmm. point because you can control two, two water flows. Right. Um, so there was an armory there that John Brown's plan was to basically capture this armory. Right, like, a, start... a, federal, like a federal... A federal uh, armory, arsenal, yes. Basically, yeah. yeah, so like, you know, when you ever see a National Guard uh, armory in the U.S., it would be like the equivalent of one of those. It was to capture it and start a... Like, there's debate on this. He, he, he claimed that he wanted to start a massive insurrection in the South. But a lot of people think that he knew going into this that he was going to die. 
and that a lot of the people that were going to oh, go okay. into it thought that they were going to die because it was like it was basically like this this ent- the entirety this whole group that he did this raid with was uh, i think it was 22 people so 22 people are going to start the you know be, kick off the basically the civil war is what it's essentially what they what they i guess right. they wanted right but they, but they were hopefully they were trying for like an internal civil war where it would be the slaves rising up so to do sure. this they bought a small cabin at the kennedy farmhouse which i don't know if that's related to the kennedy family i i wouldn't be surprised i, given I would doubt it they, they were yeah. in kansas but uh it's four miles north of harper's ferry uh <laughs> this is what's insane they came here because so they came here with 18 men there was 13 white men and five black men obviously all the black men were free were free men okay um they sent with them northern abolitionist group sent with them 198 breech loading sharps carbines <laughs> 198 <laughs> rifles wait for, uh, what for for they, 18 they were, men they were, breech, no, they were breech loading breech loading which is actually so it's crazy is so the, the, breech, the reload rate wasn't slow well, no, no. no. So, so these are breech loading. Uh, Sharps carbines were actually converted to shoot cartridges. They did oh, not shoot okay. cartridges. At so the they start. didn't need it because, like, oh, it was slow to reload. Yeah, but that actually proved to be an asset of a Sharps carbine later. Is that they're very easy to convert to cartridge, right? Because they're oh, okay. breech loading. Okay. So, uh, and actually, cool little fun fact. This is pretty badass too. So Sharps carbines were nicknamed Beecher's Bibles, and As that's because there was Harry a man Beecher Stowe. Uh, no, it was actually named in reference to Henry Ward Beecher, who once famously said he believed that the Sharps rifle was truly, was truly moral, a moral agency, and that there was more moral power in one of those instruments, uh, than in a, than in a hundred Bibles. (laughs) That was what his, that's, that's what his belief was. So it became this badass thing where basically like, you know, like there's, there's more moral moral truth in a in a rifle than a hundred sure, Bibles. Sure. Yeah. So it was it, like it's That's kind of cool. a yeah it's kind of a cool little thing. So uh, how many did you say they had? Like a hundred a hundred and ninety eight of them for eighteen. That's more than ten rifles per man. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. But but you got you got to imagine right? Like it's not cartridged yet, so they're oh they're, um, okay. They're it might make a little more sense in that context. Okay. And uh, in addition to that, they had one hundred ninety eight uh, rifles. And they also had 950 pikes. So, like, you know, spears. <laughs> Why? Why? I mean, I think the idea is, right, like, if you have a big angry mob, because the, the, well, you got to imagine the context oh, is, like, okay, they're trying to start sure. this big, huge slave revolt. Like, it's a lot scarier if they have, like, a, I mean, imagine a bunch of guys with pikes. Like, you'd think you're getting attacked by, like, a giant army or something. Okay, okay. So, I think it was, enough, yeah, enough. I think it makes more sense. And, I mean, the idea, too, right, is, like, if you have a pike, it's better than nothing. That better than nothing, use sure. It, you can use it to get a rifle. Um, that armory they were going to try and take, at the time, it was believed to contain 100,000 muskets and rifles. What? Yeah, yeah. 100,000? Mm-hmm. Jesus, that could like arm the entire U.S. Army at the time. Yeah, I know it's insane. So, so Brown attempted to recruit more more black recruits. That was like a chief thing. He he wanted this to be like, he wanted you know the the slaves themselves to like propel this movement. Okay. Like he like and that's I think that's kind of a, like a, another really like honorable thing about him. I guess is that you know he wasn't some white guy telling them that they need to listen to him and do all this stuff he he really wanted them to like take the reins right like and, s- self-liberation all that kind of yeah stuff. claim their own liberation uh so this is really cool and this is where it starts out like an 80s movie is so he tried recruiting frederick Douglass as a liaison officer <laughs> to the slaves okay. in a meeting that they held in a quarry at chambersburg pennsylvania at this meeting uh douglas brought with him a, a ex-slave nicknamed emperor that's cool (laughs) which sounds awesome and uh and actually at that meeting frederick douglas refused and uh frederick douglas also told told him that uh oh where is it where's that quote yeah he told him that it's gonna turn the uh so frederick douglas did not agree with john brown's violent methods too he he said that uh an attack on the federal government, it would be a seen as attack on the federal government and that it would array the whole country against us. And he told them that he would never get out of it alive. Okay. And Th- those are and, some, some sage points there. For yeah. And so that's what Frederick Douglass tells him at this quarry. Emperor at the end of the meeting says, 
and this is the the only quote from Emperor is, I believe I will go with the old man. And then Emperor <laughs> left with John Brown. Yeah. And I just thought that was like I a like really Emperor. cool. I like Emperor. He's cool. Yeah, I know. He sounds like an awesome. Yeah. So he I'll actually. Go with the old yeah, man. His real name is Shields Green. He's got a, another. No, no. He's name. Emperor. That's yeah, way yeah. cooler. That's way cooler. Yeah. <laughs> so like all these, all these people, it gets even wilder. It, it, uh, the people that happen in this story. Um, so anyway. Uh, basically what happened after that is, uh, they, they basically turned that farmstead they were staying in into a, a, uh, like a training camp. They, they, you know, they, they had like a barracks, an arsenal, a supply depot that, you know, they, they built some structures. They, they made everything up. Um, they had some women, a lot more women come with them because they wanted to disguise it. They didn't want to make it seem like they were making some sort of, you know, Oh yeah. You gotta camp. make it not look like an insurrectionist mob. You gotta make it look like just a settlement or something. Yeah, exactly. And so like it's stated multiple times and like, I'll just read this line here. Brown did not have a plan, did not plan to have a sudden raid and escape to the mountains. Rather, he intended to use those rifles and pikes he captured in the arsenal, in addition to those brought along, to arm rebellious slaves with the aim of striking terror into the slaveholders in Virginia. So he, he, he said he believed that on the first night of action, 200 to 500 black slaves would join his lines. So, like, he, 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 he believed, he was not, this was not a hit and run, this was not, like, security sure, strategic base. This was base. meant to be a start. This was literally lighting, like, pushing that first domino and, and and not not just pushing it and ending it but going with those dominoes to okay. the end okay. so th- he, he wanted to start everything on this one night um so this is also kind of crazy so he like he paid a english mercenary to help train his force uh the english mercenary ended up tell, trying to t- t- please tell me that this mercenary didn't know anything about warfare or something that would be well, so funny it, it's it, it's actually kind of not really sad but like like basically like a different angle this english mercenary was like incredibly greedy and tried to extort the northern abolitionists for even more money like he would go <laughs> to the source of where john brown was getting his funding and tell them that they had to pay him more for doing what they're doing uh he, he would he would denounce brown as a vicious man uh and other and other oh, such yeah. things uh, john brown actually had to leave the camp at one point to go and basically defend his honor uh and so at the end of all of this, right before the raid, it was estimated that at least 80 people knew about the raid in advance. Okay. Uh, another interesting thing, so one person actually tried to warn them, and it was a Quaker who oh. he believed that Brown would die. And he, 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 didn't, he just didn't want to see the bloodshed. So he, he, wrote, he basically wrote a letter uh, to, um, I can't remember who he actually wrote it to. Uh, someone named Floyd. Let me find. I'm just trying to. Oh yeah, the Secretary of War. He actually was the Secretary of War, which oh. is crazy. Uh, so he basically said, you know, to protect Brown from the consequences of his own rashness. Uh, you know, and and he got the letter. He read it, and as usual, didn't believe it. So nothing ever. So that Quaker was a snitch. Yeah, yeah, he was oh. a snitch. Yeah, um, and it was. <laughs> and what's actually funny too is that. There was actually a bounty right now for President Buchanan for two hundred fifty dollars for John Brown. Floyd did not connect that that was the same John Brown. <laughs> so that's it another is, reason it why it is he... a pretty common name. So yeah, I can least... yeah, John Brown. It sounds He's like he made it up. protected by his own name. <laughs> yeah. So what's crazy is like so basically then what happened is he he started the raid. Uh, I won't get into too much detail. It's it's an epic struggle. Um, it, it's basically, they, they make a lot of headway. They actually capture the armory. They have all these guns, but unfortunately the local militia surrounds them, pins them in. Uh, it, it's not long before reinforcements arrive. Can you guess who is leading the reinforcements? Oh, oh, if it was Ulysses S. Grant. Please tell Dude, me it is. It was Ulysses S. Grant. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> so the all those years ago, literally, like, well, I think what it, what it was was it was literally like fifty years ago. Both of these men's fathers tr- worked together, and in fact, wow. John John Brown's dad trained Ulysses' dad. And this is this, this for fifty years later. This is what what how they come back together. Well, and what's kind of funny is that later, Grant would be fighting for the same purpose that Brown was. Yeah, 
Literally. That's yeah, insane. It, it's insane. Like, it's insane. And it, it gets even more crazy because... Um, I'll, I'll let other people read through the, the events of this. Because it, it, it's not, like... It's just like a. It would just be a play by play of the night. Yeah, you could fill books with. Yeah, you could fill it up. Um, but by the by the end of all of it, um, oh my god! You know what? I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to kill your hopes so hard right now. I totally mixed two historical figures at the same time up. I'm gonna so, be so mad. So Ulysses S. Grant was his father was indeed trained by him. The man okay. leading though leading the force against him was not Ulysses S. Grant. It was Robert E. Lee. So still incredibly. Oh, that's even like weirder. Yeah, yeah it's even weirder. So I so, okay, actually. So Grant yeah, yeah, was yeah, not yeah. defending the fortress. Robert E. Lee mm-hmm. was yeah. defending the fort. Okay. Yeah. Still, still a cool connection. Like Grant's Grant's dad was trained by John Brown's dad, but but yes. It, but oh, like, it would have been it, so much better. If, I know. If, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, but yeah. I mean, like you said, if he if he if he then fought for the side that he was fighting against for for. Uh, uh, brown on or whatever yeah you know. well, but okay, yeah okay okay but still cool i mean ulysses is pretty significant I guess. And, and so here's what's even crazier so so they, they they kill some of his men they capture him the raid is unsuccessful it's basically like they have this long standoff in the in the i think it's the firehouse of the armory that they it's literally deemed like john brown's fort or something like that oh, okay um they break in they kill you know kills there's a lot of people that die on both sides they capture john brown so here's what's also crazy though Two of the people in charge of guarding John Brown were Stonewall Jackson and Jeb Stuart, both generals in the Confederate Army later. Oh, wow. They would both go on to be generals later. Possibly wow. even do, because of their participation in this raid. Because, like, you got to imagine, like, in in the time this is happening, like, the South is digging their heels in really hard yep, on slavery. Yep. So this was seen as, like, it actually was seen negatively by pretty much everyone. I'm sure but, it was. But when the war started was sort of when they started to reflect and be like, oh, let's make a song. Let's make... Like, that's when he started to kind of be seen in this martyrdom, this, you know, sure. more of a... Sure, yeah, and you can see figure. even a few years later, they'd mm-hmm. be like, oh, he kind of was smart. Exactly. But the South, like, did, you know, they saw this as basically the start of, the, you know, the end. Yeah, the and, beginning of the and, end. And, and, yeah, the beginning of the end. And, I mean, they were right, right? Is that this was the the first large like sort of trying to strike into yeah, the lar- large scale arms yeah. against it honestly yeah because like they knew his intentions right like after this was over the south figured out that there was a northman that was going to try and start a massive slave insurrection which like it, it's probably terrifying if you're a slave and, and not to say that because yeah. obviously yeah. slave rebellions or riots and all yeah. that stuff had it happened you know all throughout history mm-hmm. but um, wow. Yeah. That's kind of so, crazy. But yeah, but it, but it's crazy that like these these three huge people, like Jeb Stewart's not super well known, but he is a general. Literally, you say, never heard of him. Yeah. So, but Stonewall Jackson and uh, I mean, freaking Robert E. Lee, like yeah, you know, right? were both both there. Uh, you know, the man consulted with Frederick Douglass. Uh, he actually asked Harriet uh, Tubman to also join him in the raid. So he knew Sojourner Truth, Harriet Tubman. Uh, Frederick Douglass, like three of the biggest names. What, is, what just an amazing life he must have had to meet all those like people. Yeah, That's I mean crazy. this. So then he's captured. Uh, him and a, num- a number of people, they are hanged. They they actually. Be- I mean, I think the thing is, is like they knew that this guy. I mean, he had he, people like you know th- those like Frederick Douglass and like Sojourner Truth and Harry Tubman. They, they were they were not like small names at the time either. Like the no. they they knew that this man was something special. Sure. So they tried to actually keep people away from his hangings so he couldn't give any last words. But he was able to give a note to the president. Or sorry, not to the president. I can't believe I said the president. To, the, ja- cool. to the jailer before he was hanged. Uh, and what, what, what he said... How did you note, get president from jailer? <laughs> I don't know. I, just, I, I, get, I get too excited right now because this guy's got an exciting life. Yeah. So he says, he said, I, John Brown, am now quite certain that the crime... That the crimes of this guilty land will never be purged away, but with blood. I now I had, as I now think, vainly flattered myself that without very much bloodshed, it might be done. So, you know, he's basically, mm-hmm. t- translating the he oldies speak, he's basically saying uh, that he, he's now certain that it's going to take much more than just a simple raid to overturn. Well, what, you know what's crazy is that yeah. he, he was vindicated, right? He was right, and his cause won. Yeah, I know. That's the is like, and that's why, like, I mean, he, 
he, I mean, he should not only be seen for his anti-slavery stuff, which, I mean, he should be seen for his anti-slavery stuff, but in addition to that, like, this is example of standing up for your principles. It's a, and, it's a solid measure of conviction. Yeah, right? like, this man, you know, like, right, like, and, like, that's why a lot of people speculate that he knew he was going to die going into sure. this. Like, he knew, he knew that this, this might be what it takes to, I mean, it, what's even funny is, or not funny, but there's a quote uh, I really want to find this quote because it was actually really good. Um, where is that? Um, it might actually be on this page. Let me just see if I can find it. While you're looking, I did I did Google yeah. while you were talking here, and I did Google did Kansas join the the country as a free state, and it it eventually did join as a free state. Yeah, so John Brown's nice. cause was victorious in that way. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it basically I, I won't go searching for it, but it was basically it was kind of a it was kind of a sad quote. It was basically saying that like, um, like how sad it is that it takes the death of like one white man to make make everyone wake up rather than the suffering of three million colored. That's a really good or whatever point. it said, really and it's like. Point. I think it's just, like, one of the most, like, sad and telling quotes that, like, yes, this man was great, and this, you know, he, he, he helped the, 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 you know, the right cause, and he, he worked for righteousness, but it's, it's really sad that, you know, it took some, someone like this is seen as so much bigger than all the suffering that was endured by not only right, the, the slaves right. at the time, but, like, I mean, this is right around slavery's ending, like, slavery has been in this land for so long, there's so much suffering underneath it, it's, I don't know. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, that yeah. is sad. And I think John Brown would have said the same thing. Cause I, you know, like I said, from, from a lot of what he's written, he did not want this to be like, you know, him, he wasn't in this for the fame. He was in this for the, the principle of, you know, well, and in that way, it's almost yeah. sad. Like it's good that we remember him because mm -hmm. he was clearly yeah. a good person, but in a way it's sad that we remember him when he probably wouldn't have wanted, you know, I don't want to say he wouldn't have wanted to be remembered, but he would have wanted so many other more, you know, so many other people to be remembered instead of him, probably. Yeah, exactly. Like he never lost, he never got mad at Frederick Douglass or Sojourner Truth mm -hmm. or Tubman, the people that didn't, you know, participate in it. He he had good relationships with them. I mean, they basically made him what he was. So I'm sure he had tons of respect for all of those. And I don't know. It was it was just like, yeah. I mean, it's definitely someone too that like I. I, I don't necessarily like to read old historical biographies like you do, but this is someone that I might be willing to just because oh, sure. I don't know. I feel like he's got a lot of stories to tell in his life. So I'm sure he yeah. does. Um, yeah. As, that, we're, as that's we're the end. Uh, <laughs> wrapping up for the, I yeah. just realized we didn't read our fan mail for the week, Hunter. Oh no. And we do actually have fan mail this week. Now I want to give yeah. a big shout out. We'll keep it anonymous here, but I want to yeah. give a shout out to our late night listener. <laughs> who at 12:51 in the morning today <laughs> sent us this very kind text. So thank you to the late 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 night listener. Here's the text. Still listening and sending love. Heart emoji. Parenthesis. Apparently I have nothing better to do. Uh laughing emoji, cry laughing emoji, smile cry emoji and parentheticals. Sincerely, <laughs> your pearl-clutching middle-class mom. Winky face, smile emoji. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, uh, the listener. You know who you are. Thank you for the kind thank of fan you. mail. Uh, yeah. And I think with that, uh, that is episode seven. That is episode seven. Uh, thanks for listening. We have one more episode that will be on Monday, and then this season is done. Maybe we'll take a week off, and then we'll figure out what we're going to do from there. Yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> is that how we're signing off yeah. i don't know uh, man whatever okay what do you want me to say <laughs>